Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss. A tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. Hooks it. Right hand shot. Excellent. Knocks out by Tyson. Welcome back, fight fans, to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast Legendary Night Series. With me, your host, Sean Basto, as always, joined by Johnston Brown to break down this episode of the series. So, this episode is back to the heavyweight division, and it's another trilogy for you, fight fans. This is the tale of Evander Holyfield versus Riddick Bowe. We're going to cover the first fight in great detail and cover the two subsequent fights, and also their careers intertwined and the aftermath of this epic trilogy between these great heavyweight legends. Now, before we get into the episode, please go and check us out on social media at Legend Night Pod on Twitter and the Facebook page is the BTR Boxing Podcast Network for all our latest series and episodes, including Darker Side of Boxing, Career Profiles, wants to watch and the main BTR Boxing Podcast feed. Now, if you've not already subscribed to the Legendary Nights Podcast, you can do so by checking us out on any available podcasting app out there. Apple Podcasts, if you do subscribe to us on there, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us in our independent podcasting charts to get up to the top end of the charts and get more word of mouth around to all the fight fans out there about the series. If you're on any available other podcasting app that can leave reviews on, then please leave a review on there for us. It would be truly appreciated. Without further ado, we now go to the tale of Evander Holyfield versus Riddick Bowe.
The tale of Riddick Bow and Evander Holyfield. Another fantastic boxing trilogy that many of us will agree is an absolute stonker of a trilogy for the heavyweight division and one that really set a precedent for that particular period of time. Of course, these two fighters would go on to have their own successes in the career and today's Legendary Nights episode is going to bring you the build-up, the breakdown and the aftermath. So as always, Johnston, I want to get your initial thoughts on this trilogy and, and these fights. These are arguably some of the greatest heavyweight fights that we've ever seen. Yeah, and, and, and it's, a, it's a trilogy that sort of people seem to forget. And, and, and the thing I noticed when we, when we were going through the, all the information, the evidence, and we're piling together all, all this stuff for this podcast is just how crazy some of the fights are in. Not necessarily just the fights, in terms of other stuff that happened within them. Riddick Bowe was one. He had about three incidents we will discuss. And Evander Holyfield also had a couple. So it's, it just, it's just really... You know, I, I remember the fights. I remember how fun. I remember them fondly. I remember how good they were. But just the other stuff that went with it is interesting. Between just these two guys, the certain events that happened in certain fights would just blow my mind. They really do. A great trilogy. Obviously, the first one is my favourite. I'm not going to hide behind it. Second one, obviously, we'll discuss. It's just uh, <laughs> crazy. Uh, and the third one's actually a lot better than people will give it credit for. I think it sort of gets forgotten about. It was a brutal fight, the third one. So uh, well, we'll go through them. Obviously, the first one probably a little bit more than the other two, but a great legendary night this is, really is. So as always then, we're going to go into the context of, of what set this fight upon the world. And we're going to go through each of the careers of both Bolt and Holyfield and talk a little bit about what led them up to this epic first fight and the subsequent two fights that followed another great trilogy on the legendary Knights series so i'm going to start with evander holyfield first and start very much at the beginning for holyfield and his first major success in his career started as an amateur when he won the silver medal at the 1983 pan-american games in caracas in the light heavyweight division now the 1983 pan-american games you know evander holyfield was actually the the favorite to win the light heavyweight gold with the absence of the Cuban Pablo Romero. Now, after winning the first three matches, with none of them going the distance, Holyfield went into the semi-finals against New Zealand's 1983 Commonwealth bronze medalist Kevin Barry as a red-hot favourite. Now, with the second round ending, Holyfield actually landed a left hook that floored Barry, but the Yugoslav referee waved Holyfield to a neutral corner and then he counted out Barry. But then... He returns to Holyfield and disqualifies him for supposedly hitting after the bell. Now, he said that he told him to break prior to the left hook. Although the video evidence did conclude the referee's reasoning, the pro-American crowd went into absolute turmoil, which resulted in the referee needing to be escorted back to his dressing room by the police. So Holyfield lost a very controversial decision that even his opponent on the night, Kevin Barry, thought was an injustice by saying to Holyfield, afterwards, you won the fight fair and square. Yeah, a very controversial way for him to, to lose out in, in the semi-finals of the Olympics. And you'll be able to hear a podcast of the 1984 Olympic team, which will discuss Holyfield among, amongst the others that are in that team. And, and when he did turn pro, Evander Holyfield, uh, a year later, on November 15, 1984, 
He won a six-round unanimous decision against uh, Lionel Byram, who was 9-1-2 and two, on the same card of many of that class of 84 of the Olympic team, which included fellow light heavyweight, Virgil Hill, lightweight, Penel Whitaker and Meldrick Taylor, welterweight Mark Breland and heavyweight Tyrell Briggs. And of course, the admission to the show was completely free of charge at Madison Square Garden in New York City. So a great way to start your pro career for Vander Holyfield. Now, Riddick Bowe was still an amateur at this point and in an established career, he finished with a record of 104 wins and only 18 losses. He won four New York Golden Gloves wow. championships the 1985 Novice Championships and the 1986 Open Championships, both at £178, before finishing second in the World Championships and in the Goodwill Games in 1986. So he had a fantastic amateur career, Eddie Bill. Now, in only Holyfield's 12th professional fight in 1986, he actually goes on to win the WBA Cruiserweight title in an absolute fantastic scrap against Dwight Mohamed Kwai. It was 26-2-1, and one, and it was a split decision in, as I said, a non-stop action-packed fight that was probably one of the last and forgotten great 15-rounders. Holyfield was actually admitted to hospital after that fight because he was so dehydrated, and as a result, he even contemplated quitting the sport altogether after such a grueling encounter. Yeah, and, and it's definitely one you've got to go back and watch. I've watched this a couple of times and it is just exhausting. I literally feel exhausted watching this fight every time I watch it. And and even Evander Holyfield to this day still says, considering all the guys he goes, he goes on to fight, which we'll touch on, this is still his hardest fight he ever fought. And clearly, I mean, he had to get admitted to hospital after such a grueling encounter, and the fact that he actually contemplated quitting altogether, I mean, that would have been a tragedy. He did win that WBA Cruiserweight title, so against a fantastic Dwight Mahalo Quarry as well. And in the following year, in 1987, Bo actually picked up a bronze medal in the Pan American Games, and he, he won, also won, the Super Heavyweight Open Championships. So obviously, Bo's still not a pro yet, but going along, in this glittering amateur career at, at this time, where at that Holyfield had now become the WBA Cruiserweight Champion. So Holyfield made his first defence of that Cruiserweight Championship against his 1984 Olympic teammate Henry Tillman, who was 14-1 and one at the time, with a seventh round stoppage on Valentine's Day of 1987 at Bally's in Reno, Nevada. Tillman went down once in round two and three times in round seven, ending the fight on the three-time knockdown rule. So it's four months later at Caesars Palace in Nevada, Holyfield makes the second defence of the WBA Cruiserweight title and in the same fight captured the IBF version with a three-round knockout of Ricky Parker, who was 20-4, who hit the deck twice in the second round. Now the post-fight press conference circled around the possibility of Evander Holyfield moving up to take on the heavyweight kingpin, Mike Tyson. And Holyfield had established himself as the undisputed cruiserweight champion, instead of making the move up in weight, he first defeated three of the best cruiserweights around at the time, and the greatest to ever fight at the weight. First he defended and unified his titles against Ozzy Oscasio, who was 21-4-1 in Saint-Tropez, in France by stoppage in the 11th, before knocking out Cowie in their rematch in just four rounds in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Just those two names alone were exceptional cruiserweights but 
it, the debate will always linger. Carlos de, de Leon, he was a Puerto Rican cruiserweight, arguably the greatest, probably behind Evander Holyfield, to be honest. I think that these two are probably the greatest cruiserweights, in my opinion, that have ever graced this division. Now, that was his next big fight, his next big test for Holyfield. And it would be the last time he fought a cruiserweight. And he obviously took on the Puerto Rican, Carlos de Leon, who was 44 and 4 on 9th of April 1988 for the undisputed recognition in only his 18th pro fight at Caesars Palace, Nevada. Now, this obviously, Carlos de Leon was nowhere near the Carlos de Leon that, uh, um, you know, you could go back and look at and look at because he really is a fantastic cruiserweight. This was a one-sided destruction of De Leon and probably the reason why Holyfield will probably edge De Leon as the best cruiserweight ever. And in a 20-punch onslaught in the eighth round, referee Mills Lane stopped the fight and Holyfield added WBC and the lineal tiles to his WBA and IBF collection to become undisputed. Now, rather than congratulate for that amazing achievement, many journalists managed to find flaws in Holyfield's power. The major talking points were directed at whether he will have the power to trouble Mike Tyson because he was unable to knock out Dillion following many punches that landed flush. And that was the conversation. And you do see the press reports uh, when you do read on this fight. Obviously, you can check it out. It's, it's on YouTube as well. Even the commentary vaguely touched on the fact that he's actually become an undisputed champion. After, long after they, they mention it, it's straight on to the fact that it's Mike Tyson. And if he fights Tyson at this time, he's going to get destructed. You know, this, this was a formidable Mike Tyson. You can understand why people felt that way. Holyfield struggling to knock out an aging Carlos de Leon. But undisputed cruiserweight champion, and he just didn't quite get that recognition he deserved. How does the term undisputed world champion sound to you? Great, great. It's something that I always work towards. Want to be a world champion. Holding two belts just wasn't enough. Holding all three. I realize now at 190 pounds, I'm the best. This, got, this isn't just a mission of a, a year or so or two years. This really goes back four years this summer. Yes, it is. From the Olympics, you know, being denied of the gold medal, having to start my way at the bottom, work my way to the top, fought all top contenders. I really appreciate it. All right. Is this your last fight as the cruiserweight? You told me beforehand that it was in the hands of your people. I know better than that. You make your decisions pretty much. Yes, I, I really make the decision when it comes down to my manager, Ken Sand, and I, my trainers and stuff. We're really going to give a serious thought. You know, uh, we're going to view the tape, and we're going to just take our time. How long it take for us to prepare for a heavyweight? That's how long it would take for me to move up. You and I were in Houston a couple of weeks ago. You told me that you felt in your heart that you could get up to 211 or 212 if you worked at it. Well, no doubt about that. My body's really ready to grow. It's my first time in the cruiserweight having problems making a weight. So that really shows you that the maturity of my body is ready to grow. There's a gentleman who's been seated over here, has a pretty mature body. His name is Mike Tyson. You saw him. Yes, I saw Mike Tyson. Uh, you know, as I really appreciate him being here. It showed that uh, he really cared about the sport and knowing that someday that man might have to rumble. Someday? How long? Well, I really, I really can't determine the exact date, but I'll be ready when the time comes. So, by the summer of 1988, Riddick Bowe had qualified for the Seoul Olympics and lost a controversial stoppage against a certain Lennox Lewis, who was representing Canada in the Super Heavyweight Final. So, he ended up capturing a silver medal. 
Now, Riddick Bowe turned professional after his Olympic defeat and teamed up with a legendary trainer, Eddie Futch. Eddie would say that Bo had more potential than any boxer he had ever trained, which is some statement considering the pool of talent he actually worked with. <laughs> so, for Holyfield, the move up to heavyweight, as we discussed, was always going to be inevitable with all this Tyson talk. And he did indeed make the step up in weight to face James Tillis on December the 9th, 1988. After winning in seven rounds, he went on to fight Pinklin Thomas, who was 29-2-1, who retired in his corner before then going on to stop Michael Dokes, 37-1-2, in a classic fight of the 80s in March 1989. Now, Riddick Bowe then goes on to turn professional in March of 1989, knocking out Lionel Butner on his debut on the undercard of Hector Camacho and Ray Mancini at the Lawler Event Centre in Reno, Nevada. His manager, Rock Newman, matched Bo with plenty of journeymen for the best part of a year before he faced anyone significant, which actually came in the mould of the former world champion, Pinklin Thomas, who was, at this point, 34-1. The younger, bigger and stronger Bo was way too much for Thomas, so it was no surprise when his corner stopped the fight in round eight. So, now we've got Bo finally turning over, gets that big win against Pinklin Thomas, and Holyfield was continuing his reign at heavyweight and uh, Holyfield knocked out Adelson Rodriguez who was a 35 and 2 before a bad cut stopped his bout against undefeated Alex Stewart who was 24 and 0 in another belter of a fight I mean Alex Stewart that is a great fight to go back and look at uh, and Michael Dopes as well two great fights if you haven't watched these fights with Holyfield I, I really do suggest you go back and watch them because they're, they're great fights um and that was before he, uh, after Alex Stewart, he he fought uh, Seamus McDonnell, who was 19-1-1, and he won that in stoppage uh, in a fight that actually was originally scheduled because uh, because of a deal and a contract had already been signed to fight Mike Tyson on June 18, 1990. So he only fought Seamus because that deal fell through. Uh, the fight was scrapped because basically Buster Douglas, who was uh, you know, 29-4-1, shot the world when he knocked out Tyson on February 11, 1990 at the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo. Originally, Tyson, if he had come through that fight against Buster Douglas, he would have fought Vander Holyfield on that date. Unfortunately, it didn't quite pan out that way, and uh, Holyfield instead took on Seamus McDonald. So for Vander Holyfield, the potential fight with Mike Tyson was scrapped, but it wasn't all... Sad news for Evander Holyfield, of course, because he, a very overweight Buster Douglas would then defend his title against Evander Holyfield and ended up getting pummeled for the short duration and was eventually knocked out in the third by Evander Holyfield at the Mirage in Vegas. The fight was pretty much won on the scales with Douglas in really, really bad shape physically. He actually weighed in at £246, which was wow. just a stone over his original weight when he went in to face Tyson in Tokyo. Roll him in and carry him out, said Lou Duver, the co-trainer of Holyfield. <laughs> but for Buster Douglas, he actually bankrolled $24 million for that fight against Holyfield's $8 million. But Holyfield then did go on to become the only boxer in history at that point to win the undisputed championship in two weight classes. Vander, uh, I guess this does mean you're a heavyweight, huh? <laughs> well, first of all, first of all, I'd like to thank Christ for the victory. Thank Christ for the, to have patience and be able to uh, go in and be able to capitalize on, on opportunity. Because he do said uh, 
and being patient, you will be awarded. <laughs> well, you were patient and you were awarded. You told us that you're a thinking man's fighter and you proved it tonight. You boxed well for two rounds and then you took advantage of what was a big mistake of his. Well, yes, yes, I did. I went out there and, uh, you know, I anticipated him pumping the jab and I was out there to, uh, to prove that I did have a better jab. I could hit him with the jab if I wanted to. And he felt that I would be reckless, and I just took my time, did what my corner uh, asked me to do. And, uh, and of course, uh, like George said, he, th he, th he throws that uppercut, which uh, a lot of time you have to be perfectly still. And I was waiting, and he threw it in the wrong position. I was able to capitalize on it. Evander, you're now heavyweight champion of the undisputed. world. Undisputed. Undisputed, as Lou Duva so aptly points out. What's next for you? Well, actually, um, you know, I just thank God that um, I got through that, and I'm just going to go back and, and enjoy it and uh, take what the Lord has given me and be able to go out and witness to the kids that, you know, uh, to have that positive attitude because a lot of people felt that I couldn't do it because I was a small man. So this would, you know, display to the kids that, you know, if you work hard, train hard, and work at anything, you can, you can be successful. Wow, what a magnificent achievement. And they were quite sneaky with that because obviously the controversy that surrounded Buster Douglas and I, I believe the titles, a couple of titles were stripped off him and then Don King tried to say that forced a long count and a couple of the organisations were, they were saying it was a long count and he needed, to, he needed to fight Tyson again and you know, Don King getting involved obviously, being, being Mike Tyson's promoter and um, in the end, the, the main main event sneaked in and picked up the fight against Buster Douglas which was Perfect timing. Mike Tyson, if he'd have fought Buster Douglas in the shape that he was in against uh, Evander Holyfield, Tyson, even though he was in complete disarray at the time, probably would have still won that fight, I believe. But they did well, main event, to get that fight, and, and it got just one fight for Evander Holyfield to become undisputed champion. Now, Riddick Bowe, on the other hand, now, Riddick Bowe, at this time, his next fight was against another mutual opponent of Holyfield, which was Burt Cooper. He was 22 and six. He who was that he knocked him out in just two rounds. You know, in March 1991, I signed a two-fight, one million dollar deal with ABC, knocking out 1984 Olympic super heavyweight gold medalist Tyrell Briggs, who was 19 and three in only eight rounds, before taking on ex-champion Tony Tubbs, who was 29 and two at the time. A month later, at Caesar's Hotel Casino in Atlantic City in New Jersey. Now, Bo used his excellent left jab to great effect and was unable to hit the elusive tubs with anything significant. It wasn't a good night or a good fight on the eye, and it did actually expose Bo's weakness in Bo's armory. Considering he had this magnificent jab, tubs moving about, he struggled with him, and the jab was the best way for him to get the win. He did go on. All three judges gave Bo the win unanimously, but it was very close, and the crowd actually booed the decision as well. So, not a good night for Riddick Bow. Rock Newman said he would now be looking towards a fight with Viva, Randa Holyfield, and Mike Tyson in the following year. What did you learn from this fight going into a heavyweight championship fight? Well, actually, to be honest with you, fighting a guy like Tony Tubbs, Pierre really couldn't teach me nothing, but I needed the rounds, and that's what I got from him. Uh, talk to us about Holyfield. Give us your impression of Holyfield, your feeling about having earned the shot at the heavyweight championship next November. Well, Evander is somewhat the same type of fighter Piers, but he's more busier and he's a much more craftier fighter. So that's why uh, the first chance I get, I'm going to go, I'm going to get back in the gym and start working extremely hard.
So even though you are a very big man and everybody has been saying that Evander Holyfield isn't a genuine heavyweight champion, including yourself, I should add. I know what you're about to say, but I, st I still don't believe he takes a punch as well as Pierre Coates. You don't. Well, I guess we're going to find out in November. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. So on April the 19th, 1991, in a fight billed as the Battle of the Ages, Holyfield made his first successful defence of his undisputed titles against the 42-year-old George Foreman, who was 69-2 and two at the time. And he was at the yeah. convention centre in Atlantic City getting the unanimous decision victory. Now, the fight marked the launching of TVKO, which would later become HBO Pay-Per-View. Now, future world champion Bruce Alden, who was 18-1, and one, was Riddick Bowe's next victim in a first-round knockout, which further enhanced his credibility. Bowe was involved in one of the most bizarre incidents ever seen in a boxing ring later in his career, but his next fight against Elijah Tillery was 23-4 and four on October 29, 1991 in Washington, will also be remembered as the crazy fight. The footage is on YouTube, so if you haven't seen it, go and have a look at it. I would advise you to go and have a look at it, because explaining what happened probably doesn't do it as much justice. Bo dominated the first round, dropping Tillery with seconds left, and after returning to his feet, he taunted Bo, who responded by hitting Tillery with a jab. Tillery then kicks Bo, who then responds with a flurry of punches on Tillery, who comes back with some more kicks and punches. Tillery ends up with his back on the ropes while being hit by Bo, so Rock Newman then decides to get involved by grabbing Tillery from behind on the ring apron, pulling him over the ropes as Bo continued to throw punches. Tillery then somersaults backwards over the ropes and was quickly swamped by the security. Once it had all settled down, Tillery was actually disqualified for kicking Riddick Bo. And it was funny because they actually went on to have a rematch two months later. Uh, Bo stopped him in four rounds in what was uh, an easy night for Riddick Bo. But that particular night, that first fight against Elijah Tillery is one that you, you've absolutely got to go and look back on. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's just, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen, it's the weirdest thing watching a boxing match and seeing a guy kicking. <laughs> Said at the top of the show, just this sort of craziness followed Riddick Bowe throughout his whole career and this was just the first of them. It was dubbed as the crazy fight and it really is. Go and have a look. The crazy fight on YouTube with Riddick Bowe against Elijah Tillery it is absolutely hilarious. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. Really, really peculiar. Well, I, I really just can't explain it. You've just got to go and watch it. And, and you summed it up brilliantly today, though, Sean. Please go and watch it. So, back to Holyfield. And obviously, the Holyfield-Tyson saga continued to unravel like a soap drama during the next few months of 1992. Now, Holyfield had a rescheduled fight with Mike Tyson in Las Vegas, which was supposed to be on November 8th, 1991. 
But the fight was cancelled after Tyson suffered rib injury during training. Now, Holyfield was then arranged to fight Francisco Damanini, silver medalist from the 84 Summer Games in Los Angeles, in Atlanta on November 23rd. But Diamani pulled out due to an ankle injury. Now, finally, Burt Cooper, who had fought Riddick Bowe earlier, who was 26-7, and seven, stepped in as a substitute for the substitute. Now, the trouble was, is that what caused us though was the fact that he had actually knocked down Holyfield for the first time in his career. Now, obviously, Holyfield did recover and go on to stop him in seven after several unanswered punches. But the fact that Burt Cooper was demolished by Riddick Bowe, he was a bit of a journeyman, 26-7, and seven, and everyone's talking about Mark Tyson and Holyfield, and he struggles. You know, he really did struggle, especially in the early stages. It was a bit of a flash knockdown. It wasn't like a heavy knockdown. But this created that hype and that soap drama and that saga around Tyson Holyfield, which just continued into 1992. The Tyson fight was obviously still on the table as soon as he was fit again, but he was eventually ditched altogether after Tyson was convicted of rape and incarcerated in early 1992. So Holyfield needed an opponent with credibility. And Riddick Bowe was the younger challenger that was identified. But after a financial dispute between Holyfield's manager Shelley Finkel and Bowe's manager Rock Newman, the fight was also scrapped for another day. Holyfield then defeated an old Larry Holmes who was 54-3 and and Larry Holmes absolutely had no business by getting a title shot at that point in time but Holyfield beats him by a unanimous decision. Afterwards, he was actually criticised for taking the title from an uninterested and overweight Douglas and then defending it against two past their prime fighters in Foreman and Holmes and nearly getting knocked out by the journeyman Cooper. Holyfield was actually considered by many as just a blown up cruiserweight that had incredible will, but didn't have the power he needed to become that dominant heavyweight. He was just an undersized overachiever that was holding onto Tyson's belts until he returned. That was basically how he was being plugged, no matter what Holyfield did. He had that horrible fight with Cooper and then obviously the Holmes and, and Foreman. I mean, the fact that they were saying that he should have got rid of Foreman is ridiculous. Even though he's old, he's old ripe age of 42 years old, you don't just get rid of George Foreman. You know, he was solid. And Larry Holmes... Obviously, there was comparisons made because obviously Tyson got rid of him and then Holyfield going a distance. So, yes, he lacked the power, but he did have this massive will. Now, in going back to Riddick Bowe, in Bowe's next fight, he, he had become the number one contender. And now, he recorded two more knockout wins over Conroy Nelson, who was 20, 17 and 2, pretty much a journeyman, and Everett Martin, who was 17, 13 and 1, another journeyman, before his team were involved in a dispute with Team Holyfield which is what we discussed earlier. Now, Riddick Bowe was expected to become the WBC's mandatory challenger because of Tyson's conviction, but received bad news from the WBC after they pushed Razor Ruddock ahead of him in the latest rankings in March 1992. Some saw that decision as a move beneficial to, to Don King, coming in once again, Don King, with his financial involvement with Ruddock. But Murad Mohammed, Ruddock's promoter, said that Ruddock was dropped by the WBC rankings for not paying $150,000 in sanctioning fees. Sounds very familiar. Before he was reinstated as a number two once he paid the money. Eventually, Bo landed a number one contender shot against Pierre Cortez, who was 39 and 2, which he won by seventh round technical decision, earning the right to challenge Holyfield for that undisputed title. And now, ladies and gentlemen, from Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, let's get ready to rumble! 
announcing for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. I truly believe that it's the right, right time for me, and I, and I will be ready. It's going to be a war. When it's all said and done, and the smoke clears, I will be the new undefeated, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Conventional wisdom in this fight is that Holyfield will try to fight the big bow as he fought George and Buster Douglas, staying outside, jumping in with quick combinations. But sooner or later, a fight is going to break out here. It might be sooner. The Mirage plays host as we come to you from the Thomas and Max Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. Undisputed heavyweight champion Evander Holyfield defending his title against number one contender Riddick Bowe. It's scheduled for 12 rounds. Once again, a heavyweight title fight in this neon city, though this time we are indoors rather than nestled in an outdoor arena next to a casino hotel. A crowd of 18,000 awaits the fourth title defense for Evander Holyfield, a defense which now becomes the biggest test for respect in his two-year reign as champion. Can Evander Holyfield beat a heavyweight who is both younger and bigger than himself? That is what we're here to find out. So we move into the build-up to the first fight, and eight weeks before, Holyfield would take to the ring against Bo. Tragedy struck when his older brother, Willie, a.k.a. Bo, he was an important cog in the Holyfield team machine and got the best out of him in training, was shot dead in his home in front of his fiancée, Renee, and her kids by her brother, Michael, with a shotgun, which is a really sad and tragic tale. Now, while preparing for Riddick Bow, Holyfield was still trying to deal with the loss of his brother, Bow, who had been murdered only two months before the fight. Holyfield would have to enter a training camp while Bow's funeral arrangements were still being made. And he actually spoke of how hard this was. It was hard. I was so used to having Bo around. It was like the big emptiness was following me around where he used to be. It didn't help that Riddick's last name was Bo. And every time I heard it, I was reminded of my brother. It must have been obviously a very difficult time for Evander Holyfield in the lead up to this first fight. Very difficult physically and psychologically. And I think it played a part in the fight itself, which we'll go into a little bit later on. For Riddick Bo... He had his own problems during many training camps since turning over to the pro game. And that was, of course, his diet. Rumour has it that he was banned from the kitchen during his camps because he would overindulge. He had lacked the drive and was known to be very lazy. But his talent was never in question. And preparations for the Holyfield fight were the complete opposite. He was determined to become the undisputed heavyweight champion. So his training camp leading into the biggest fight of his life, Rock Newman said... This was probably the best training camp we have ever had. Bo was ready to fight for the title. The question was, would Bo have the heart to match Holyfield? He certainly had the size and the knockout power. 24 of his 27 fights had ended within five rounds. More than enough evidence there that I think Reddit Bo had the power to knock out and beat Evander Holyfield. Crazy, that story with Evander Holyfield. I mean, he must have been really troubled eight weeks before that fight having having those difficulties and then obviously Riddick Bow, this young challenger struggling as well being a bit lazy as people know lack drive but this training camp seemed to be going well for him but there wasn't really too much in terms of trash talk as such it was pretty much Bow was up for it he was ready he was, he was going to be the best Riddick Bow that ever, ever ever fought and Van Holyfield obviously had that sidetrack in his brain obviously fighting Bow his brother's name Bow 
I mean, that must be must be awful for him. So, so going into the fight details, then we had uh, Holyfield, who was the favourite at seven to five, and he was this was the only time he'd be favourite in the three fights. Riddick Bow weighing at 235 pounds, 30 pounds more than Holyfield, and three inches taller at six foot five, with Holyfield at six foot two, and Amanda Holyfield weighing at 205 pounds. Now, Bo was ranked number one by the WBA, number three by the WBC and IBF. Holyfield was guaranteed $5 million, and Bo was guaranteed $3 million. Their percentage revenues, Holyfield earned $17 million and Bo $5.5 million. And the fight actually generated 900,000 pay-per-view buys as well. They would earn more money in the next two fights, believe it or not. Some some huge numbers there, Sean, isn't it? Now, just before the introductions, Bo was actually filmed in a huddle with his team and a pastor saying a prayer, but I seen his white shorts with a red trim, which I found quite <laughs> funny. And as Holyfield was introduced, his forehead was coated with an absolute shitload of Vaseline, <laughs> probably in hopes that Bo's lethal left jab would slip off, causing less damage and hindering his accuracy. So the fight, Evander, the real deal Holyfield versus Riddick, Big Daddy Bo, promoter, main events, broadcasted on HBO at the Thomas and Mack Centre in Paradise, Nevada. The referee was Joe Cortez. I'm firm, but I am fair. Judges were Dalby Shirley, Jerry Roth and Chuck Giampa, and it was for the WBC, WBA, IBF and the lineal heavyweight championships of the world. So on November the 13th, 1992, in front of a packed out crowd of 18,000 people, Holyfield and Bo produced a fight that will always be remembered as a true modern day great. And as we go into our fight breakdown of this first fight, we start off in rounds number one and two. Holyfield came out and was quite lighter on his feet, of course, with that difference in weight. He was quicker to the punch and showed a better jab than Riddick Bow. He actually fought really well on the outside, using his boxing skills to great effect. When he did get in close, he would feint, he'd throw the combinations off the back of his right-hand lead, while continuing to land with his jab. And Bow started to unload late in the first round and attempted to steal the round, but he sprung to life in the second when they both opened up there was a brilliant exchange very early in the round and I think tensions did intensify when Bo hit Holyfield after the referee had signalled to break for the end of round two. You can see Holyfield's face. He doesn't look the best pleased with it. And, and it was actually in between the rounds before round three began. All the criticism that Holyfield had taken and that devastating loss of his brother all came to fruition and it came to a boiling point at the end of round two, obviously, with that cheap shot by Bo. Now, Holyfield lost control for the first time in the ring. Now, he, he actually said that himself. You don't actually see it. Naturally. In, the, in terms of the way he fought in the first two rounds, considering the way he then fought for the next 10, you can see there's a difference of strategy. And he, he, he puts it down to the fact that he allowed his emotions to run right. And, and he actually recalled it. He said it, as in Bo's sneaky punch, as a referee called break, as you just mentioned earlier, Sean, didn't do any damage, but it was a cheap shot and I guess I was right to be aggravated. I made up my mind to knock him out and did about the dumbest thing you could do against a guy who is bigger, stronger, and younger than you and outweighs you by 30 pounds. I moved inside and tried to out-punch him. And he said that his intentions were to go out and try and knock Riddick Bow out, which, to be fair, if you ever watch Riddick Bow, you don't really want to do that against this guy especially in this heavyweight division at this time, 
there was really there wasn't anyone any bigger than him. So it was a bit of a bad move from Holyfield. But obviously those emotions stirred from from his brother's loss and all the other criticism he had received. He said it finally took its toll on him going into that third round. Rounds three and four, Holyfield did start round three at a fast pace. And he landed a solid right early in the third, which once again brought a lively response from Riddick Bow as both fighters traded leather. Holyfield's fast pace was taking Bow into the uncharted waters that he'd not been into before, but the aggressive style of Holyfield was pretty dangerous. He was caught on the right eye in the third and into the fourth, and Holyfield stands in front of Bow and trades, sometimes managing to push the bigger man back. Bow was also able to find the target with his big right and even work the body successfully, apart from one that landed below the belt, right on the belt. <laughs> yeah, another little cheeky move there by Riddick Bow, moving into the rounds five and six, and, and Holyfield box on the outside, finally. Like he had done in those first two rounds for a little while, for much of the fifth anyway. He was slipping side and ducking under that Bow's left jab. Devastating left jab, by the way, an excellent jab. Before landing, telling left hooks and quick jabs. Now the sixth, so both fights slowed down quite quite considerably and the pace did drop. Uh, but, you know, Bo was the busier. He did sort of fight off the ropes. As I said, as you, as you mentioned earlier, Holyfield was pushing him back. Bo was up against the ropes. Bigger guy and he was just landing more. Holyfield was almost he was standing. He wasn't really throwing anything. It was just in little spurts here and there. As I say, like, when, when Bo was coming back and trading and throwing some shots with it to the body or the head, you know, there wasn't much coming back from Holyfield. So it was, it was sort of turning a little bit in favour of Bo, who was starting to really want to fight. Round 7-2-9, Bo landed a big right early in the 7th, but the uppercut he followed it with was an absolute peach of a shot. Oh, Bo dictated the flow in the 8th with his jab and right hand until Holyfield actually thumbed him in the eye late in the round. Holyfield was clearly working on instincts at this point, but he managed to outwork Bo, landing solid left hooks and jabs, but Bo continued to find the target, but less often as his right eye began to close. Round number 10, and Bo came out strong, landing several powerful combinations and badly hurting Holyfield with another one of those powerful uppercuts. Holyfield reflects on this particular moment by saying, Bo hit me harder than I've ever been hit in my life. An uppercut right smack on the chin. I saw stars, and I mean that literally. They were all dancing around my head like in one of those cartoons where somebody gets hit in the noggin with a frying pan. (laughs) (laughs) That's a potent uppercut. Devastating uppercut. So Bo actually went for the knockout. Holyfield was able to weather the storm and somehow Holyfield not only survived but he dominated the second half of the round landing several combinations of his own which almost stopped Riddick Bow in his tracks. It was quite simply one of the best rounds in boxing and even Al Bernstein who commentated on the pay-per-view broadcast called it one of the best rounds in heavyweight history and quite frankly who are we to argue with Al? Round 10 begins if they complete this round Riddick Bow will have gone just as far as he's ever gone before in a professional prize fight. Riddick, Riddick Bow is able to land three good combinations now. Evander Holyfield can have his first visit to the campus. He's been a gentleman all this time. He can't understand someone being so dirty. So you see Holyfield going down in this round, and Bow stuns him with an uppercut. And just like that, the champion struggles to stay on his feet. What a heart by Holyfield. He's going to stay on his feet. He's hanging in there. Again. And Don't Holyfield to... weathers the storm and comes back throwing. If Bo starts over all over again, he can do it all over again. Let's see if he has the patience. Get him out, get him out. 
Evander Holyfield's incredible powers of recovery once again on display. Remember how he came back from the knockdown against Cooper and threw one of the great left hooks you've ever seen about 30 seconds later? At that time, Evander could see. This time, Evander Holyfield has no vision at all. That left jab has been the most devastating thing in his life. Holyfield's only resting from all of those punches he threw. And Holyfield goes back to the right-hand lead. It's been the only weapon which has been consistently good to him tonight. Don't rest. Rest with your jab. Bone should be taking that kind of advice. Look at Holyfield. What a warrior. Reversing the tide of the battle. The champion now has bow wobbly. And he lands the right hand. Everybody in the Thomas and Mack Center on their feet. Absolutely. And it is a, a tremendous round of boxing, that 10th round. And you're thinking... Holyfield back in trouble when he lands that uppercut. He says he's seeing stars like, like in the cartoons and, and he was in trouble. And he was like, Bo was just going to close the show. He said, I think he had punched himself. I think he gassed out a little bit somehow. I mean, the powers of recovery of Evander Holyfield is remarkable. How he managed to survive that round and then come back and then trade. And almost literally, he could, if that had gone on a few more seconds, he even said himself, Lord, give me a few more seconds, and I would have stopped by that at that point in that round. Yeah, I mean, Al Bernstein was bang on with that comment he made, being the best round of the heavyweight, the best round in heavyweight boxing. And you're right, mate, you can't argue with that. Excellent, excellent. 10th round, that really was brilliant. So rounds 11 and 12. In the 11th round, Bo hurt Holyfield with a left hook. And an exhausted Holyfield tried to clinch. But Bo stepped to his right and dropped Holyfield with a right to the side of the head. Though it allows that Jim Lampley claimed it would seem like a miracle for Holyfield to finish the round. He did actually somehow manage to survive the remainder of that round. And knowing he was behind on the scorecards and would need a knockout to win the fight. Holyfield was aggressive throughout round number 12. And Bo was able to withstand Holyfield's offence throughout the round and went on to be named the new heavyweight champion of the world via unanimous decision. Joining us now at ringside is the brand new heavyweight champion of the world. Let me be among the first to call you champ. And congratulations, Riddick. Congratulations to you, Eddie Futch, as well. I have to suspect that you discovered early on in the fight that when he hit you, he didn't hurt you all that much. And then you decided that you could go ahead and be aggressive and turned out to be much more aggressive than he was. Well, first of all, I want to thank God and give him praise for giving me strength and courage. Um, I told you, Evander, all you experts, you underestimate my, my stamina, my punching power. You know, Bert Cooper knocked Evander fell in the ropes, I knocked him down. Uh, you can't take him away from him, he put up a hell of a fight. And um, I'm just looking forward to the future. And your vindication is that you win not just with power shots, but with your heart, your will, your stamina, and your boxing ability. Man, I, was in, I was in the best shape of my life. And uh, again, I'm looking forward to prove to the world, Lennox Lewis, George Foreman, those who probably say, you know, Ivana wasn't the man he was. But again, I must say, he came in, he has the, the heart of a lion. I had him in trouble, came fighting back. And uh, I had to dig deep myself. In a way, he was more impressive tonight than he has been in many of his victories, wasn't he? Yes, indeed. But I told you, I was the better man. Anytime you match a good big man against a little man, usually if the good big man is in shape and willing to go through whatever, uh, he will win. Now, Lennox Lewis is here to watch, and you have a score to settle yeah, against that, Lennox that, Lewis. That big, ugly bum, Lennox couldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight. Uh, again, I'm looking forward to exposing him. He ain't nothing but a, a big uh, arm puncher, and uh, Razor Roddick was perhaps uh, 
afraid of them, but I'm going to show you people how to be Lennox Lord. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It was a bit of a that funny knockdown that 11th. I mean, you could, I think he was more gas from that 10th. He knew he had to win that round, and, and he did go for it, tried to knock him out, but Bo did enough, especially in those middle rounds. I think he, as I say, the style changed for Holyfield, and he, he really shouldn't have. Now, after the fight, Bo versus Holyfield was was a fight that was uh, named Fight of the Year by the ring, and also round 10, that magnificent round 10, was also named Round of the Year as well. Now, Following his victory, Riddick Bowe did go off. He actually met Nelson Mandela when he went to visit South Africa. Eddie Futch, though, was actually concerned when he went travelling. And he actually said that he was worried. When he actually came back, he wasn't in the same physical condition as he was in that first fight. So we'll discuss that second one. And not long after the fight, Holyfield and Bowe had a long talk. And Holyfield gave Bowe some good advice. Holyfield remembers the conversation in autobiography becoming Holyfield a fighter's journey and he says what he said to Bo was don't take any fights for less than 15 million dollars you're the champion in the world now and you don't have to Holyfield then went on to tell Bo to set the bar higher right from the off by giving him that figure he knew that Lewis fight which was obviously the other guy the other fight that was going on, the winner of each each fight between Lewis and Ruddock. The winner of each of those fights and this fight would fight each other for undisputed. Now, Van Hoenfeld would then say that 15 million, you, the thing is, even if you lose to Lewis in that match, when you do take it, the rematch will be even more. And he then said, then just like it's going to be when we fight our rematch against you. So Holyfield clearly setting the seat there for his rematch. Bo Lewis, well, it didn't quite work out the way we thought. It was one of them fights that we will always wish we could have had and we've never been able to see. So before the fight, Bo signed an agreement with the WBC to make his first title defence if he should beat Evander Holyfield against the winner of the October 31st title eliminator between number one ranked Razor Ruddock and number two ranked Lennox Lewis, which Lewis went on to win by a second round knockout. The WBC gave Bowen Lewis until December the 13th to reach an agreement or the fight would go to a purse bid. If Bow refused to meet Lewis, the WBC title would be awarded to Lewis. Rock Newman, Bow's manager, made two offers to Lennox Lewis. The first would have a guaranteed $3 million, while Bow giving 90% of the purse and Lewis 10% of the purse, and the second offer was for Lewis to refuse the WBC title and have an interim fight in the United States for $2.5 million and then fight both for $9 million or a percentage to be negotiated. Now, Frank Maloney, 
who was the manager of Lewis at the time, rejected both offers and then countered with his own proposal. A 75-25% split of the purse. Rock Newman turned it down. Maloney later had a change of heart and agreed to the first offer, but Newman told him it was too late. Newman said that a deal for Bo to defend the title against an opponent other than Lewis was imminent. So, on December the 14th, 1992, Reddit Bo held a news conference and dumped the WBC title into a garbage can. And he said, if Lewis wants the belt, he has to get it out of the garbage. The WBC then declared Lewis the new heavyweight champion. What an infamous moment that was. That was, for me, one of the moments that although Bo did have these two other fights with Holyfield, which we'll discuss, I still feel that's a moment that he's never going to be able to live down. Oh, never. I mean, I don't understand it. I mean, he's obviously listening to to Newman and Newman's giving him poor advice, let's be honest. I mean, even 75-25% split of the purse, they could have had a rematch in millions. Uh, and I think that he threw money away, really, bro, to be honest with you. And uh, Lennox Lewis went into that garbage bin and pulled out a WPC title, didn't he? I mean, credit to him. Why wouldn't you? Who wouldn't? So, yeah, a bit of infamous moment, wasn't it? It really was. And one I'll always remember, like, what the hell was he doing? Holding a press conference just to do this as well. This just seems ridiculous. Now, he would, of course, keep the WBA and the IBF heavyweight titles, however, and would successfully defend them in easy victories against Michael Dokes, the same Michael Dokes that fought Holyfield in an excellent fight, and Jesse Ferguson. Now, Michael Dokes is 53-2, and two, Jesse Ferguson 19-9. and nine. Now, within a combined total of five minutes and 36 seconds, Riddick Bowe got rid of both of them. So Riddick Bowe was clearly a guy to, at this moment in time, I think he was at his peak of his of his skills and his talent. And I think he was, that's what makes that Lewis, the, the reason not to take that Lewis fight just seemed beyond me because I think at this time, I think Riddick Bowe possibly could have beaten him with his size and how destructive he was. I thought he was, I mean, look, we don't know. It would have, it would have been an excellent fight either way. Sad to see it did happen. Yeah, it really, really is sad to see that it didn't happen. It was really disappointing and something that I wish, like I say, we, we would have had. After much anticipation, Bowen Holyfield, would meet in a rematch on November the 6th, 1993, with only the WBA and IBF heavyweight titles on the line. Reddit Bowe was the 5-1 to one favourite, but the odds went down to 2.5-1 to one following the weigh-in due to Bowe looking, shall we say, a little bit podgier than he did in the first <laughs> meeting. And Bowe actually weighed in at £246 and Holyfield weighed in at £217 before the second fight. So Bowe was guaranteed an $11 million purse, Holyfield guaranteed a $9 million purse. The fight itself generated 950,000 pay-per-view buys in front of a crowd of 14,292, which produced a gate of 5,792,838.50 in dollars. So that's just just nearly under $6 million on the gate alone. Emmanuel Stewart was in Holyfield's corner for the fight, and it would be his second and final fight with Holyfield after they split because of a dispute over money. Caesars Palace in Las Vegas would stage the fight, with Mills Lane being the referee. Jerry Roth and Chuck Jamper were back as the judges from the first bout, but this time it was Patrick Moore's Jarman as the third judge for this particular fight. Now, from the moment the first bout sounded, Bo landed an almighty right hand that staggered Holyfield, but he recovered well enough to keep dancing and looking for the openings beyond that excellent Bo left jab. Though the early rounds, Bo 
continued to work behind that jab effectively until Holyfield landed a barrage of right hands in the fourth round, which then escalated into both fighters continuing to throw punches before their corners jumped into the ring to intervene. A absolutely mental moment as well. This is both losing the composure at this point. As you can tell, they both really wanted it. <laughs> they did, and it's just another moment, isn't it, between these guys. It's crazy, and Emmanuel Stewart came charging over as well, and he actually pulled Holyfield away before, obviously, referee Mills Lane finally separated him, and Holyfield... You know, he went back to his corner and, and then Holyfield would take the next uh, two rounds as well, making it three apiece. That's, that was a mark card, I believe, HBO probably. I think they had it for two. I thought it was even at this point. But what happened next? Again, I mean, just just the craziness of the bell and then Emmanuel Stewart running into the ring to, to, to pull Holyfield away is, is quite crazy enough. But what happened next is probably the most bizarre incident in the boxing ring that I've ever seen. And I don't think we'll ever, ever, ever top it. And so with one minute and 50 seconds left in round seven, both fighters looked up to find the parachutist who had circled the outdoor ring at Caesar's Palace, suddenly descending towards the ring and landed in the ropes near Bo's corner. It appeared the parachutist tumbled into the ropes near Bo's corner when his chute got tangled in a bank of lights that lit up the ring. Now, Bo recalled the incident. Now, he is back. I don't think he noticed it. We didn't, he didn't see it. He actually looked at Holyfield's reaction. So I didn't know what he was running for. as in Holyfield because he'd see him and he thought he was sort of like he's messing about. He's trying to just mess about with him a little bit. Holyfield spoke of his fear as well. Holyfield actually said, it was scary. I don't know if the man had something, a weapon or not. What were his intentions? Now, several people at ringside then began to hit the skydiver, as we all know now, to be James Fanman Miller, who ended up needing treatment on, on the on-site medical team, actually stabilised him onto a, st a stretcher and wheeled him out of the arena. And Miller would actually later come out and say, it was a heavyweight fight and I was the only guy who got knocked out. <laughs> Miller told the authorities that he tried to land in the ring as a form of a protest. I still don't know what the protest was. What the hell was that about? I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I, don't, I hope I don't ever see anything like it again, but what on earth was that about? That was just the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in boxing. Whoa, somebody just... There's been a, a parachutist, a skydiver, has just landed here at ringside, tried to come into the ring. He hit the ring ropes, and there is chaos here at Caesars Palace in the outdoor stadium. And time has been called as some maniac has attempted to parachute here. A skydiver or a parachutist tried to land in the ring. We are in the seventh round of this fight. He landed on the ring apron, crashed into the ropes, and now security is all over him along with the people at ringside. We can't see if anybody was injured by that, but that guy is lucky that he didn't kill himself or somebody else. It is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in boxing. It really is absolutely crazy. The only one thing I know about James Van Man Miller is that years and years after this incident happened, he actually went on to take his own life. His life sadly took a turn for the worse. I'm not attributing this particular moment to that. He'll always be remembered 
in history for this particular moment but in his own personal life he unfortunately took his own life later on down the line after it but he, this moment is is so infamous in boxing that you can't not help but laugh and and cringe at the same time but it's just the fact that we're still talking about it now even what 28 years after the fact just goes to show you how much of an impact it had now after that Bo's wife Judy who was three months pregnant at the time became fate during the incident and was taken to hospital as a precautionary measure the fight was actually delayed for 21 minutes with the fighters sat in their corners wrapped in robes and blankets to keep warm while most of the fans stayed in the seats the fight did eventually resume but it took Bo longer to get back into the fight with Holyfield taking round seven and eight Bo won the ninth and once again hit after the bell before Holyfield took rounds 10 and 11 The 12th round also ended with more fighting after the bell sounded for the final time and Emmanuel Stewart racing out of his corner to pull back Holyfield ended with them both on the canvas to end one of the most (laughs) strangest fights ever. (laughs) I just, just recalling, I just see Emmanuel Stewart like rugby tackle Holyfield across the ring and they just fall into the ring. This is just the maddest fight I've ever seen in my life. It's just chaos. The, I mean, I, I was just lost for words. I, I just can't explain this fight. The fight itself, again, I mean, it was, it was a very passionate, extremely close fight. But Holyfield, this time, got the majority decision. The scorecards read 113, 115, 114, 115 to Holyfield, both judges. And then 114, 114, and which was the same as Howard Lederman's scorecard, which was a draw. So, obviously, Evander Holyfield did manage to become the undisputed heavyweight champion again in a very... Just the craziest, craziest fight I've ever seen. And after the Mayhem, even Eddie Futch, who was then 82, said he felt faint. He was actually administered oxygen and taken to hospital as a precaution. Bo said, we'll be back. It was unfortunate when that guy came out of the sky, he fought my wife, before adding, I've got to go, I've got to go with her in the hospital now. Tell Evander, I said, congratulations. I think we've got to do it again. Holyfield became... And the third man in history, heavyweight history, to reclaim the title after losing it, joining Muhammad Ali and Floyd Patterson, and then later on George Foreman, who became the fourth Holyfield, said, if I fight again, we'll do it again. It comes down to who I get the most money from. Crazy, isn't it, how that all ended up turning out? Because you think if you look back on the second fight, I think you think Bo's actually winning it before the fan man incident actually happened and then he just couldn't seem to get back out of the blocks when the fight was restarted. So Holderfield capitalised on the second half of that particular fight and just the chaos yeah. that ensued really. It would obviously make them one apiece. Now after the fight, in Holderfield's first defence of the unified titles, he actually lost a majority decision to the undefeated lefty Michael Mora, who was 34-0 at the time. On the 22nd of April 1994, Back at Caesars Palace, he actually put Mori down in the second round, but then went on to lose that majority decision yeah. to him. For Riddick Bow, he spent nine months out of the ring due to injuries, and with fights not materialising, he went on then to face undefeated Buster Mathis Jr., who was 14-0, on August the 13th, 1994, in Atlantic City, which was actually ruled as a no contest, due to Riddick Bow knocking out Mathis Jr. in the fourth round after the bell had sounded. <laughs> Not like we've heard that before, of course. <laughs> in another bizarre moment in Bo's career, in the press conference five days before his fight with Larry Donald, Riddick Bo punched Larry Donald with a left-right combination on the chin before the two were separated. 
The actual fight itself ended with a unanimous decision for Bo on December the 3rd, 1994 at Caesars Palace. And obviously Johnson's laughing in the background because he remembers very well this particular incident. We did actually cover this for the, the best boxing brawls for our main BTR boxing podcast feed. So if you've not heard that episode, go and check it out with many incidents like this. But yeah, that video on YouTube that you can find is just clear as day and talking trust between one another and all of a sudden you just see him throw the left right very, very quickly and it just ends up in a brawl. But I tell you what, man, Larry Donald had some chin to take them two punches at that press conference. Jesus, didn't he? Uh, he had his hands behind his back as well. He proper took that. I mean, I mean what what the hell, man? But it, something's not quite right with Bo. His routine where it's him, I think he's a bit of both. And, oh, my goodness me. What, what? Buster Mathis Jr. and punch him after the bell and then Larry Donald. I mean, it's just chaos. And then he was obviously near no titles, but the WBO heavyweight champion and undefeated British African Nigeria born in a way, Herbie Hyde, he was 26 and I think he knocked out 25 or 24 of his opponents. He put his title on the line against Riddick Bowe on March 11, 1995 at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. And Bowe became a two-time world heavyweight champion when he knocked out Hyde in six. So unlucky for Herbie. He he got a title. It wasn't the most glamorous title at the time. About 10 years in the making, wasn't it? WBO at the time, 10 years old, just over. So yeah, it wasn't considered to be a huge size as it is today. Well, while Bowler was now a heavyweight champion, holding the less regarded title at the time, Holyfield had had a 30-month layoff when he was actually diagnosed with a faulty left heart ventricle. Two months later... He claimed he had been cured by a faith healer by the name of Benny Hinn and after another examination by the doctors at the Mayo Clinic, Holyfield was told that he'd been misdiagnosed and was actually fit to return to the ring. He returned and took on the former WBO champion Ray Mercer who was 23-2-1 on May the 20th 1995 in Atlantic City. Now Mercer opened a deep cut over Holyfield's right eye in the sixth round and was beginning to showboat as they moved into the later rounds. Holyfield went on to knock Mercer down and go on to win a 10-round unanimous decision. The following month, Riddick Bowe made light work of another undefeated fighter in Jorge Luis Gonzalez, 23-0, on June 17th, 1995, back at the MGN Grand, knocking out the Cuban in six rounds to defend his WBO title, setting up the third and final fight, the rubber match between Bowe and Holyfield. Yeah, so Bo and Holyfield had their rubber match at Caesars Palace in the outdoor arena in Vegas in front of a crowd of 13,500 on November 4th, 1995. Joe Cortez was the referee this time with Jerry Roth and Chuck Giampa, the judges once again. And the final judge for the for the final fight was Bill Graham. Now, Bo was favourite of 3-1. to one, And although the WBO champion, he was still the WBO champion, he held the title. That wasn't on the line, basically, because Holyfield thought that it would politically hinder his goal of winning back the WBA, WBC and RBF titles. So he, he didn't want WBO on the line, they didn't put it on the line. The, the New York Daily News presented the winner with a championship belt instead. Both fighters were guaranteed $8 million and the fight generated 650,000 pay-per-view buyers. So a lot, about 300,000 that had dropped down from their second fight. Now, again, I mean, this was another fascinating fight. And what I'm probably up, I mean, bar the parachute incident, it's probably the second best out of three for me. It was another fascinating fight, and it was the final encounter. Now, in this fight, Bo actually had a point deducted in the fifth round for a low blow, 
And Holyfield looked to be completely exhausted as well at this point. He'd actually later claimed that he was fatigued because he was suffering from hepatitis A. With about a minute left in the fifth round, HBO commentator George Foreman stood up and called for the fight to be stopped. And he said, this man is going to end up in a pine box. He's got heart trouble. Foreman was, of course, referencing Holyfield's diagnosis from the previous year. In the sixth round, a left hook to the chin put Bow down for the first time in his career. But in the eighth round, Holyfield was dropped with a right. He got up at the count of nine, but was quickly dropped again by two right hands. And the referee, Joe Cortez, stopped the fight. This was actually the first time in Holyfield's career that he was stopped. Good right hand for Bow. This ball really has to start picking it up now. He's in danger of letting this fight run away from him. He hurt him with the up left hook again there. Now Holyfield's got... Oh no, Holyfield was caught... In the exchange by the right hand. Now he's the one who's in trouble. Can he get up from that round eight? Joe Cortez counting. He just about makes it. He got up at about 9.2. He can hardly walk. They might stop it here. Holyfield staggers into another fight. This is the end now. It must be stopped. It is stopped. Riddick Bowles is the winner in round eight. And the brave, brave Evander Holyfield. His challenge ends after another quite remarkable fight here. Obviously, there wasn't as much publicity around the third fight. I think, you know, no titles on the line. This, you know, with the WB, it was a WBA champion, it wasn't on the line. But, you know, all in all, when you, when you stick the whole package together, I mean, the bizarreness of these two, and what happens after, you, you still have bizarre fights with with, with Boats we're going to in a minute, and, and Holyfield. I mean, what a, an amazing trilogy i mean just the fights itself they were brilliant fights first fight particularly in round 10 was outstanding but the whole package of what happened at the time and the, the wbc being chucked being chucked in a bin and the kicking fight i mean it's just madness when it really with the parachutists as well i mean what, what a great trilogy though Sean. thank you for all boxing fans fellas Riddick, what's on your mind at this moment with this man thank, i want to thank this great champion because without him it wouldn't be possible he gave me all this person in the world and I love you, man. Anybody got a butt phone? <laughs> you know, speaking of inspiration, I thought of that 10th round in the first fight when he had you down. Did you think you could, you could survive that knockdown? Did, you, did your mind flash back to what had happened in the first oh, fight? No. Oh, no. I keep telling you guys, when I'm faced with adversity, whatever the word is, I always become better because of it. And um, once I got up, I had to get this guy, you know. Just in my mind, like he says, that, you know, he can get me. I was always thinking I can get him, but... Man, I tell you, I love you, man. I love you, man. It's an unbelievable trilogy. A really, really fantastic trilogy. Underrated trilogy. And I think when we speak about trilogies that we've already covered, we've obviously covered the Gatti Ward trilogy for Legendary Nights not a couple of weeks back, and that was an amazing trilogy, if not the best trilogy of them all. But this is not too far behind it in terms of trilogies. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Obviously, the Arlie Fraser is the big, big one. But in terms of what happened, I mean, that was more... I mean, that is definitely like a different dimension. But this is just... It's quite remarkable uh, what happened. And and it didn't stop for Bo. Bo did have two more fights against unbeaten Andrew Gallardo, 28 and 0 at the time. Before he actually retired for the first time, he did come back only to make a retirement to 2008. But, I mean, this is just worth mentioning that the both Galata fights were just extraordinary. And But the first one was one of the most, again, one of the most bizarre moments that you'll see. You'll see again, it just seemed to follow by everywhere he went. And Galata was actually winning the fight at this point. So Galata was winning the fight at the moment. I think there were all three of the judges, there's not two of them had him up on the scorecards, before he was actually disqualified for repeated, repeated blows, low blows, in the seventh round. Now, Riot then followed at Madison Square Garden after the fight, which resulted in 22 injuries and 16 arrests. Rock Newman was actually suspended for a year and fined $250,000 by the New York State Athletic Commission for the part he played in the fight inside the ring where fans were fighting other fans and the ring was filled by followers of both fighters throwing punches. Most of the brawls involved black fans against white fans. A lot of being a Polish guy, a lot of his fans were anti-Semitic, I believe, sort of drapes in the, the Polish fans, which obviously didn't put Poland in a, in a good light, but they were a bit racist from what I've heard and it just created a, a horrible atmosphere. Now, the riot was actually named the 1996 event of the year by Ring Magazine, which, again, just tickles me. But absolute chaos. I mean, what Galotta <laughs> was thinking about, he's winning the fight, he knocks him in a few times, low blows, and in a fourth time, in the end, the referee's like, you're taking a piss, and he just, he does him. But what is he thinking? I mean, I have no idea what Galotta was thinking. And in the chaos afterwards, it's like, what on earth? Everywhere Bo went, it was just chaos. That was a chaotic moment, and I think, again, for any younger boxing fans that will have not really looked into this in history, you should go and check it out. It's absolutely crazy. You don't see Sorry, many man. you don't see many batshit crazy moments in boxing, and this is certainly one of them worth looking at. Now, after the Galata fights, Bo decided to actually join the United States Marine Corps Reserve. Bo arrived at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot in Paris Island on February the 10th, 1997. On his first day of recruit training... Bo discussed leaving the corps with Marine commanders, and he actually quit after three days of heavy physical training with his platoon in Paris Island, South Carolina, on February the 21st, 1997. So this is the Riddick Bo at the point where we talked about his weight being a bit of an issue earlier. He's starting to he's starting to balloon up a lot in weight at this point in time. So I can imagine them three days of physical exercise in the Marine Corps must have absolutely fucked him up, and that is exactly why he couldn't be bothered with it. Now, in September 2002, Miller committed suicide on a remote Alaskan hiking trail by asphyxiating himself with a nylon strap tied to a tree, and his body was discovered by hunters almost six months later. And that is, of course, uh, referring to the the fan man. Yep, James Miller. That's the fan man we were talking about a little bit earlier on. And, and it's really sad that, like I said earlier in the conversation, that he did go on to take his own life as a result of things going on outside of, of, of this particular incident. He had he had his 10 seconds of fame and it seemed to stay, stick around with him for a long time, but not in the fame that he wanted. It was more infamy that he ended up with as a result of that. Now, Bo was convicted in February the 1998 of 
kidnapping his estranged wife, Judy, and their five children. During the kidnap, he actually stabbed his wife in the chest before being captured by the police. So he was actually sentenced after that stabbing in February 2000, I think it was 2001, 2002, actually served 17 months in federal prison. Following release, he dabbled in kickboxing and pro wrestling, and in 2015, he was actually inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. So although he had some pretty shit times that had happened and pretty dark incidents that had happened after all them great nights and nights we've spoken about in the episode he still managed to get himself inducted into the international boxing hall of fame which i found quite remarkable after that it's almost like a free part of how this he had that cruiserweight and then he moved into the heavyweights failed tyson bids tarzan prison then the, the free bow fight and then it sort of kicked on again and holyfield would go on to win a wba world heavyweight title again against mike tyson of course and was also part of their rematch with the famous bite fight, which is another crazy incident. He unified the WBA and IBF titles in that in a revenge match against Michael Mora before the controversial draw of Lennox Lewis and in the defeat in the immediate rematch. And both fights, of course, were once again for the undisputed heavyweight titles. Now, he also then went on to get have a trilogy with John Ruiz. Holyfield did win back the WBA title for the fifth and last time in, in an exceptional career. Of course, he fought on way too long, like many of the best fighters in the years gone by, and finally re- retired in 2011. And he was ranked number 77 in the rings list of 100 greatest punches of all time. And in 2002, he was named as the 22nd greatest fighter of the past 80 years. He currently ranks number nine in BoxRec's ranking of the greatest pound-for-pound boxers of all time. And boxing scene also ranked him as the greatest cruiserweight of all time in an illustrious career for a member of So just touching on a few of the things outside of the ring and part of the reason why Evander Holyfield did fight on too long was because in June 2008 a legal notice was actually placed by Washington Mutual Bank stating that Holyfield's $10 million 54,000 square foot 109 room 17 bathroom suburban Atlanta estate would be auctioned off on July the 1st of 2008 due to foreclosure shortly before that bank's insolvency. Now it was rapper Rick Ross that ended up acquiring in that house, adding to his financial problems, Toy Irving, mother of his then 10 year old son, filed suit for non payment of two months child support. And he was paying $3,000 per month for his child, by the way, at this point. Uh, a Utah landscaping firm has also gone to court seeking $550,000 in unpaid debt for services. His fortune was basically drained by frivolous spending, multiple failed business ventures and constant child support payments. And, of course, them three divorces didn't help the situation as well. So, in in 2012, uh, The Independent described Holyfield as flat broke and bankrupt, despite having earned around £350 million or £513 US dollars over the course of his boxing career. Now, as of 2019, Holyfield was earning about £1.2 million a year, mostly through public personal appearances so another subject uh, to briefly touch on with Evander Holyfield is something that people have accused him of throughout the course of his boxing career and that's the allegations of steroid and HGH use the human growth hormone 
On February 28th, 2007, Holyfield was anonymously linked to Applied Pharmacy Services, a pharmacy in Alabama that was under investigation for supplying athletes with illegal steroids and human growth hormone. He denied ever using performance enhancers. Holyfield's name does not appear in the law enforcement documents reviewed. However, a patient by the name of Evan Fields caught investigators' attention as Fields shares the same birth date as Holyfield, October the 19th, 1962. The listed address for this so-called Fields was 794 Evander Fairfield, and Holyfield has a very similar address. When the phone number that, according to the documents, was associated with Fields' prescription, it was dialed and... Evander Holderfield answered that particular phone call. It's not really much of a coincidence there going no. on. <laughs> so on March the 10th, <laughs> 2007, Holderfield made a public announcement that he would be pursuing his own investigation into the steroid claims in order to clear his name. Holderfield was again linked to HGH in September 2007 when his name came up following a raid of Signature Pharmacy in Orlando, Florida. Now, Signature Pharmacy was also under investigation for illegal supplying several professional athletes with steroids and HGH. So that question's always been posed about Evander Holyfield. Did he ever use steroids and, and human growth hormones? Well, there's a lot of interviews that have come out recently from heavyweight boxers in Britain that suggest that many, many fighters were using yeah, well, I think um, I think the evidence there is, is, is it goes against him, doesn't it? Really, and I, I would say towards the end of his career, I mean, this is past the noughties. I, I would say that the chances are that he was, and obviously the financial difficulties as well. He obviously needed to get himself into some sort of physical condition to be able to continue fighting to earn the money to keep going. Otherwise, you know, it was, it was blatantly skimmed. So I can I can understand. I don't think he would have been early. I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being naive, but I think it was something that probably happened to Holyfield. The older he got, after he had those magnificent fights with some of the legends of the game. So uh, I mean, it, it's, it is what it is, I suppose. But I mean, it still doesn't for me. It doesn't differ from the fact that Evander Holyfield is an absolute legend of, of boxing in, in the heavyweight and the cruiserweight divisions. Well. This legendary night that we've covered for the episode, The Tale of Holyfield and Bo, has been an epic trilogy of some fantastic fights. And ending the episode on a positive note, I think we've really covered uh, yet another great trilogy and another great heavyweight fight, which has been really thoroughly enjoyed by many boxing fans over the years. And I've personally thoroughly enjoyed going through this yet again because we get all these fights and we get to to really experience reliving them and really knowing the inside and outside detail of, of what led up to these fights, what happened in the aftermath of these fights. And that's the beauty of, of why we cover them for the Legendary Night series is we get to really learn so much more about them and, and bring the boxing fans so much more about these particular Legendary Nights. So it's been a pleasure, as always, to, to cover it for you fight fans. And if you've enjoyed it, of course, go and let us know. You can find us on Twitter at Legend Night Pod. And you can find us on Facebook. The Facebook page is BTR Boxing Podcast. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, please go and do it. Go and support the Legendary Nights podcast on Apple Podcasts by leaving a rating and leaving us a review. Put the reviews and the ratings and sharing the word about the podcast because it really does truly help us be able to get to that platform to get the appreciation for all the work that gets put into these episodes. And I know both myself and Johnston spent countless hours putting all this together so that 
you fight fans can can have a listen to it. So if you if you're still listening now at this point and you've not rated the podcast, please go and do it. It really really helps us. So Johnston, just a final word from you on this legendary night's the tale of Holyfield and Bow. Brilliant trilogy and one of the most bizarre trilogies I've ever sat down and and we've, we've investigated and gone for. I mean we we knew about these two. We lived through their eras. So. We remember a lot of it, but when you actually really go into the detail of it, it was bizarre. The, the pair of them were in some of the most bizarre fights I've ever seen. You could literally just do a bizarre pod with just these two guys in it, I think, and just discuss the crazy fights that they were in. A magnificent trilogy, and, and thanks to, to the guy that asked us to do it. I mean, a brilliant pick, and yeah, just keep them coming and Keep rating us, please. You know, we're up against it now. We're up against some stiff competition for the Legendary Nights. We want to be able to to make it as much of a good listen as we possibly can for you. Yeah, we've got stiff competition, but hey, hey, look, this is all good. And, you know, we, we love, a, love a bit of competition spring up. <laughs> absolutely love the competition is what we thrive off so as always fight fans thanks for listening check us out on the cross social media check us out on apple podcast google podcast any podcasting app out there leave a rating leave a review it truly helps we hope you've enjoyed this episode of legendary nights the tale of evander holyfield versus riddick bow and right now thomas Hearns is an open book for ray leonard backs up against the ropes this is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport the first loss a tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Uppercut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. Hudson, right hand shot. Excellent. Knocked out by Tyson. Now slugs to the canvas. The champion struggles to stay on his feet. How do you like it? Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.